I'm going to share with you a patient story that should get you a little annoyed, surprised, disappointed, shocked, or at least one of those because it did for me. Well, well, wait, let me set the stage here first. This is a patient encounter where a patient came to me who is 32 years old and only gravid. She has a known history of fibroids and had heavy bleeding and cramps because of her fibroids. Not unusual, right? Her fibroids were about 10 to 12 week uterine size and she'd been suffering them for years. Well, she said that she went to her physician and the provider gave her this medication. And so this was her question. Hey, Dr. Chop, I want to make sure that I'm doing this correctly because my physician in the other city told me that as long as I take this medication for my fibroid-associated pain and bleeding, that I don't need any other birth control because this medication has the same hormones that is in regular birth control. So then I said, well, wait a minute. So then this provider just gave you the birth control pill. Is that right? Well, the patient came around and said, well, here's the medication. Well, the medication that was given is my fimbri. Now, if you're not familiar with that, we're going to cover this here because that medication was just approved one year ago for fibroid-associated heavy bleeding, okay? But here's the catch. Yes, my fimbri has estrogen and it has norethindrone, a progestin agent, but that is nowhere close to birth control. And not only that, but it's actually a warning that this medication is not to be used as birth control. And I'm going to tell you why. So can you believe it? So, yep, it's true. An OBGYN physician gave this patient this medication that's contraindicated during pregnancy and said that it's birth control and it's not. Now, I know, I know we're all trying to do our best and I'm not picking on anybody and I'm definitely not upset at anyone. But I did call that physician to say, stop telling patients that my fimbri is contraception. It is not. So in this podcast, we're going to cover what my fimbri actually is, what's its indication, what's in it, and how should patients protect themselves from pregnancy while using my fimbri. Ready? Let's cover this new FDA-approved medication, new as of 2021. We'll cover that right now. Life is too short and too unpredictable to go through without some sort of vision or passion. If you don't know what your passion is, find it now. This is our passion. This is Clinical Pearls. I consider myself somewhat of a social person. I mean, I like to talk to people. That seems obvious, right? Yeah, I've got my moods where I'm kind of, you know, arm's length and leave me alone. But in general, I like to talk to people. That's why when I'm at the hospital, I like to go into our physician's lounge. No, it's not just for physicians. I mean, there's PAs, MPs, and CRNAs, and it's just kind of a central meeting place for us to kind of debrief, hang out, and see what everyone's doing. Well, when I heard this patient encounter, I went in there, and I was talking to one of our general surgeons, a good friend of mine, and I said, you know, I just can't believe this provider said this. What if this patient had gotten pregnant? I'm just so irritated by this. And this general surgeon buddy turned around and said, Hector, I got two bits of advice for you. One is you're way too type A and you're way too OCD and you need to lower your expectations. Of course, we all laughed at that because we never want to lower our expectations, especially in healthcare. We want to raise that bar up. But we did get an idea of how to kind of go through life less stress. And that's just lower your expectations. That, of course, is a joke. (laughs) 
And the second issue is, look, maybe this physician didn't know. So maybe they need to be educated on it and, and told in a nice professional way. So I did. I mean, I called the provider and said, man, I got your patient. Thanks for taking care of her. But she told me that you told her that this was birth control. Did I misunderstand that? And this provider said, well, no, I, I told her that she could probably use that for birth control. Well, you can't. So this is where this podcast idea came from, because this is a brand new medication. And I mean, brand new as of a year, because it was just approved in May of 2021. And if this is out there, I don't want things like happen to this patient to be propagated. So I thought it would be a good idea to just for a brief moment of time, go over what MyFembry does and does not, how it works, and what patients should be told regarding contraception for this. This is approved to treat heavy bleeding associated with uterine fibroids. So let's talk about that in detail now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. On May the 26, 2021, the US FDA approved Myfembry as the first once-daily treatment for heavy menstrual bleeding associated with uterine fibroids. Yeah, we've got other things like birth control pills and all types of hormonal contraception can help with that. But this is one that has a novel design. And I'm going to tell you why, why it's novel here in just a minute. But remember, this was May 26, 2021. And as we're taping this in the first week of June 2022, it's only been a year. Actually, it hasn't been the full year yet because even though it was approved on May the 26th of last year, it became commercially available in June the 17th, 2021. So this June 17, 2022 will officially be a year. By the way, as a disclosure, this podcast is not a paid representation or a paid sponsorship for this medication. We just want to do our part, our due diligence for medical education, so that patients aren't harmed like in our patient case profile that we just covered. Uterine leiomyomas, or fibroids, are the most common solid and symptomatic neoplasia in women. They are the leading indication for hysterectomy. However, many patients benefit from and seek out management options other than hysterectomy because they desire future childbearing or wish to retain their uterus. I think this next statistic is pretty eye-opening. According to ACOG's Practice Bulletin from June 2021, which is Practice Bulletin 228, uterine leiomyomas are estimated to occur in up to 70%, that's 70, 70% of women by menopause. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that all of them are hugely symptomatic, but it just gives you an idea of their frequency. ACOG continues to remind us, though, that the true incidence and prevalence remains unknown because most cases remain asymptomatic and likely go undiagnosed. However, about 25% do end up being symptomatic, with the two most common symptoms, of course, being menstrual pain and heavy abnormal vaginal bleeding. The incidence of leiomyomas does increase with age until menopause. Other factors that are associated with an increased risk of uterine fibroids includes premenopausal status, family history, increasing intervals since last birth, hypertension, and obesity. 
Another risk factor, of course, since we've known for decades, is that the prevalence rate of uterine myomas is two to three times higher among black women compared with white women. The prevalence of uterine fibroids does not appear to be higher among Latina and Asian women as compared to white women, but data are far more limited for these populations. In order to increase our non-surgical options for symptomatic fibroids, specifically as it relates to heavy menstrual bleeding, the FDA approved Mifembri based on two six-month clinical trials. These included 768 women to see if their menstrual bleeding actually was reduced with the use of this medication. In these studies, Mifembri demonstrated a 72% and 71% response rate in menstrual blood loss at the 24th week mark, which is the last month of the study, compared to 16% and 14% of women who are in the placebo group. Because of these results, the FDA approved this medication and it's indicated for the management of heavy menstrual bleeding associated with uterine leiomyomas in premenopausal women. That's women over the age of 18 and again up to the age of menopause. As a point of note is that this medication is limited to 24 months of continuous use because the risk of continued bone loss after that may not be reversible. That's according to the FDA and the manufacturer's own data. What's this medication anyway? Well, it's actually three different medicines in one pill. Remember, this is taken orally daily. This is a combination of Relogalix, a gonadotropin-releasing hormone antagonist, estradiol, and norethindrone acetate. Let me stop there for a minute just to clarify something very important. Now, don't get confused here because don't think that Relagalix is the same medication used to treat endometriosis. No, Relagalix is not Orlissa. That is Elagalix. So similar, but actually very different. You see, while Elagalix found its home for endometriosis, Relagalix was originally indicated, again, it's a gonadotropin-releasing hormone receptor antagonist, indicated for patients with advanced prostate cancer. Is that interesting or what? Well, why wouldn't it work, right? They're all hormone responsive. So Relagalix is not Elagalix, which is for endometriosis, but Relagalix was originally for prostate cancer. Well, I can't say that again. So if you need to rewind that, go ahead. But we're leaving it at that. As we get to the end of this podcast, let me get into the crux of the issue here. Now, before I get into the whole contraception issue, let me tell you what the dosages are for this medication. Remember, it's a fixed dose combination single pill that doesn't vary and is taken daily. It contains relagalix of 40 milligrams, estradiol 1 milligram, and norethindrone acetate 0.5 milligrams. According to the FDA and in the manufacturer's instructions for use, it is, quote, important to advise women to use non-hormonal contraception during treatment and for one week after discontinuing this medication. According to the FDA's medication profile and the manufacturer's package insert, this medication is contraindicated for use during pregnancy and a pregnancy test is required prior to medication start. Based on findings from animal studies and based on its mechanism of action, mifembri can cause early pregnancy loss. Now, in both rabbits and rats, no fetal malformations were present at any dose level that was tested that was associated with relagalix exposures, 
But nonetheless, we're not talking about a malformation issue here. We're talking about early pregnancy loss. That's why it's important to counsel patients to use a non-hormonal contraceptive agent of choice, whether that's a copper tea or condom or Fexi or a combination of all those. But they cannot rely on this as contraception because of the ability for pregnancy harm. I didn't ask this other provider why he or she thought that this medication could be used for birth control, but I kind of understand it, I guess, right? I mean, it's an oral GnRH antagonist, which means that you're not going to be releasing FSH, so there's no ovulation. Maybe the estradiol, they thought, is also going to be a little bit of negative feedback to prevent ovulation. Then you kick in the little norethindrone, but that's not with their intended use at all. GnRH antagonist is here specifically targeting the fibroid. And the estradiol is just there to help protect the bones, because remember, this is up to 24 months, and to give some hot flash relief. And the norethindrone is only there to protect the endometrial lining, because otherwise you're taking unimposed estrogen. So these are not approved for contraception. And we'll get into that a little bit further down the road. Well, now that we're at the end, let's say some clinical pearls to wrap this up. Number one, remember that this is approved for premenopausal patients with symptomatic fibroids manifesting as abnormal bleeding, but you got to limit it to 24 months. Second, remember that this is not contraception and patients have to use some other non-hormonal form of contraception because it may be linked to early pregnancy loss. And number three, remember, there's no one-size-fits-all, but this medication does give us another treatment tool that's non-surgical to help these poor women that are at wit's end and nothing else has helped when it's heavy menstrual bleeding associated with fibroids, and that's a big concern. Now, if you're thinking, well, what did the college say about it? Well, at that practice bulletin, which we mentioned at the beginning, it is in there. This medication is in that practice bulletin number 228. However, it was not yet approved. It was still going through the approval process. So while it's referenced in that practice bulletin, it says, hey, the data seems to be working, but it's still under FDA review. So that's about it. Well, it's now past review and it's now commercially available. So now you know all the information. As always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.